the Museum of South Texas History preserves and presents the borderline heritage of South Texas and Northeastern Mexico by telling the stories from the Rio Grande. Hello, I'm Pamela Morales, the Communications Officer at the Museum of South Texas History. Welcome to Stories from the Rio Grande, The Lost Empires. This episode ends our journey with Neil Cassidy, who has provided a few stories about working in the fresh produce industry. He started in Toronto, then moved to the Valley to work for Griffin & Brand, a former giant fresh produce company. In this episode, Neil will explain how the fresh produce industry in the Valley collapsed. Neil, we've discussed in the past three episodes about working for the fresh produce industry in the Rio Grande Valley. How long did you work for Griffin and Brand? Uh, Pamela, I worked for Griffin and Brand for a little over 12 years. During most of that time, it was the leading produce company in the Valley. The staff were well paid and had excellent benefits, but the cracks started showing in the foundation in 1987 when management downgraded employee benefits and slowed the pay to vendors like carton companies. It got even tighter in 1998 and by 1989 it was obvious that the ship was taking in water badly. Like most good rats when seeing the water rise inside the ship, I jumped off the Valley Fresh Produce ship in 1989. Did you tell anyone, um, a co-worker or supervisor, about those feelings that that something bad was about to happen? Well, there was the normal grumbling among the employees about the changes for the worse. Uh, I asked one of the principals if things were going to stabilize, and his answer was not reassuring. Uh, I had seen many venerable giant companies fall during my career, and I decided I'd better look out for myself. Which giant companies had closed its doors? Were those in the valley? Uh, No, no, Pamela. None of those had been in the valley. I first saw the demise of giants from my position in Toronto. Dominion stores, once the largest retail grocery chain in Ontario, shriveled because of a failure to adapt to industry changes. It was later carved up and sold piecemeal to competitors. Two of the largest and oldest produce wholesale Wholesale houses in Montreal, Quebec went bankrupt. Uh, In the late 1960s, the Purex Corporation of bleach fame uh, and United Brands, now Chiquita Brands, had entered the fresh produce business in California in a big way. Both ceased operations in just a few years. Did you see anything that could have been done differently to keep Griffin and Brand open? Pamela, Ophel Brand was a brilliant man who showed flashes of genius. If a man of his intellectual intellectual capacity and experience could not figure out a way to stop the company's demise, I don't think there was a way to stop it. Did other packing sheds start closing at the same time as Griffin and Brand? As I remember it, uh, closing started in 1987 or 88. Over a period of seven or eight years, the major packing sheds disappeared. 
To me, it was like watching the stars in a constellation go out. Some stars just went dark in an instant, and some dwindled in size and glory to red dwarfs, and then faded out. Do you remember which packing shed closed first? I really don't remember which giant fell first. Uh, I just remember wondering who was next. And how did the closures uh, before 1989 affect valley life? The first effect was the unemployment of the workers of the failing majors. But the ripple effect of lost business affected carton companies, seed companies, agricultural chemical companies, and all of the other direct support industries. There was a higher unemployment rate in the valley until the benefits of NAFTA began in 1996 or 97. All the old, fresh produce empires were gone and pretty much forgotten uh, in the busy rush of trade brought by NAFTA. The companies that were adaptive and clever survived and even thrived in the new reality. But the fresh produce industry was no longer of the economic importance that it was before. So then what did you end up doing after Griffin & Brand? I broke it in Ohio for a few years, then went to Southern California for nine years. I returned to the Valley in 2001. And what type of work did you do in California? I was the sales manager for a small company whose major focus was iceberg lettuce, but had a, a range of other commodities. What was the work pace in California? Uh, in the first couple of episodes, you mentioned that California was one of the top fresh produce growers in the country. So I'm wondering if you saw any differences between California and Texas? Oh, yeah. Everything is bigger in California. In 2017, California sold $2.4 billion worth of fresh lettuce. There's a massive amount of fresh product sold by large number of companies. The pace is much faster. The margin for error is much more narrow. Stress levels are extremely high. Every produce person in every job in the nation's fresh produce industry works under hectic conditions. But in California, it's even a little more intense. Why did you decide uh, to return to the valley? An old friend called out of the blue and asked if I would work for him. It was a chance to slow my pace a bit without getting bored and spend more time with my wife. Where did you end up working in the Valley? I worked for Party Produce, a small leafy greens and herbs company in Edinburgh from 2001 to 2011 when it closed. And how was it working for Party Produce? Was there much adrenaline? No, Pamela, not as much, but the volume of product was smaller, but emergencies and disasters are a part of every day. It was a slight dialing back of excitement. Why did Party Produce close in 2001? It was a failure to change as rapidly as the industry did. Perhaps the company should have started packing some of our herbs in smaller, more consumer-convenient packages. Perhaps we should have sourced more products from Mexico. Who knows what could happen? And uh, when you returned to the Valley and started working for Party Produce in 2001, how was the state of the fresh produce industry? Pamela, the major extinction event was over. 
the survivors and the recent startup companies were thriving. The industry had settled down as much as it ever settles down. And uh, were all the big companies gone by then? Were there even any left? Yes, all the megafauna were gone. Only the lighter, more adaptable animals were left. And you had mentioned that there were some startups. Are any of those still in operation today? Offhand, I can say that J&D Produce and Frontera Produce are two that are thriving. What do you think, or what should the local fresh produce companies have done to save, save themselves? I don't think that there was anything that the behemoths could have done to save themselves. No one can stop producers in other areas from intruding into a market niche. No one can stop changes in consumer preferences. If there was anything that could have been done, the debt load carried by those giants would probably have precluded sufficient capital expenditures to meet the needs. What kind of major changes did you see from when the closings were happening in the late 1980s compared to when you returned in the early 2000s? Uh, I wasn't here, but my friends told me that some banks were in trouble because of uncollectible loans to one or more of the other the big giants. Strip malls set incomplete with further construction halted. Uh, they said housing developments were on hold. There was a general economic malaise. But in 1996 and 97, my friends were telling me of a population influx and huge numbers of building startups. It was obvious that NAFTA was going to rejuvenate the Valley's economy. Did you see any differences of NAFTA's influence to the Valley's economy when you returned in 2001? Yeah, it was exciting to see the changes. The first thing that I noticed was construction. New strip malls, hospitals, schools, and housing developments were in progress everywhere. There were new restaurants of all kinds in operation. Trade transfer warehouses were going up. Every town from La Jolla to Brownsville had grown. It looked like a boom town from the gold rush days. So when Party Produce closed, is that when you decided to leave the fresh produce industry? When management closed the doors of the business in the summer of 2011, it was a hard time for me. According to the expected path of my disease, I had one or two years of deteriorating life left. I would never again feel the pulse of the business or feel the rush of distress. Are you in contact with anyone from the fresh produce industry? Yes, I, I still talk to a couple of old cronies and a few former employees. But we talk about personalized, mostly. From your experience, do you think the fresh produce industry will ever be as big as it was once? Uh, in dollar volume, maybe, uh, but never in employment levels. Valley-grown fresh produce will never see a resurgence. There isn't a market niche like there was before for our local product. However, since the completion of Federal Highway 40 in Mexico, much of the produce shipped from the western coast of Mexico has started crossing bridges into the United States at McAllen, Barr, and other cities. About 40% of 
of the winter fresh vegetables consumed in the United States comes from Mexico. That's a huge number of packages. Uh, there will be more warehouses arise here to unload those packages from Mexico over-the-road trucks onto U.S. over-the-road trucks. So there will be a time of rapid growth for that, that type of operation. Is there anything in particular that you miss about the industry? I miss a lot of things. I, I miss the action mostly. Uh, I miss the making of important decisions on the fly. I miss being part of a massive chaotic system that feels the, feeds the nation. I don't miss working with a team of knowledgeable, well-meaning people because I still do that at this museum and nature centers, especially Edinburgh Scenic Wetlands. I do miss being part of the produce confraternity who fight the fight every day in a demanding and dynamic industry. Uh, I miss all of it. However, at this point in my life, I'm, I'm like the old dog who hears the hunter's horn and feels his pulse quicken and his nose sniff for the scent of quarry, but then settles back down because he knows he's better off on the porch. So um, what is one or two maybe things that you want people to know about the fresh produce industry? Rightfully, people in the valley romanticize cowboys in the era of the cattle kingdoms and lionize the risk-taking wildcatters of the, in the energy industry. But both of those industries still contribute greatly to the economy of the valley. I would like people to come to the Museum of South Texas History and see the canal building, farmland forming, and citrus packing exhibits to understand the pioneering days of the fresh produce industry. Most importantly, I would like people to remember that for a bright, shining 70 or 80 years in the 20th century, the fresh produce industry was the dynamo that drove population growth and economic expansion in the valley. Thank you, Neil. This is a part of history that not many people would have known about if you hadn't taken the time to share your stories. Thank you, Pamela. Neil's perspective isn't the whole story. So in the last episode, which closes season one, will feature another perspective. Hope you'll tune in. This podcast was produced by me, Pamela Morales, and in collaboration with Lisa Adam, the creator of Collections. Song is Carpe Diem by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons. Follow us on Anchor to hear more about the Lost Empires and send your questions through the Anchor app. You can also subscribe to this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Most History, Stories from the Rio Grande.